There's no real limitation with technology. We're only limited by our imagination. These are the words of Dr. Dinesh Palapana. Dinesh is by far one of the most inspiring people I have ever met. Dinesh has a law degree and a medical degree. He's a senior house officer at Gold Coast University Hospital and a lecturer in medicine at Griffith University. He's an adjunct member of the Gold Coast Orthopaedic Research and Education Alliance and an adjunct research fellow with the Menzies Health Institute of Queensland. In 2018, he received an Order of Australia Medal. What makes all of this even more extraordinary is that Dinesh has quadriplegia. He was only the second person with quadriplegia to graduate as a doctor in Australia and the first with spinal cord injury. And he was the first quadriplegic medical intern in Queensland. Dinesh, welcome to the studio. You're obviously a very busy man, so thank you so much for finding the time to talk to us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Dinesh, we first met in 2018 when you presented about your spinal cord injury research at the Senate's Digital Health Meeting, and I can't wait to hear about where your research is up to. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you a little about you for those who haven't met you. So you have a law degree, but you realised not long after graduating, you wanted to study medicine. Why was that? Mm. Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I'm, uh, I'm not one of those people that grew up wanting to be a doctor. Um, but when I graduated from high school, I had a chat with my mum. And my mum's, you know, she's been one of the biggest uh, influences in my life in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I used to get in trouble all the time. So maybe she thought that uh, being a lawyer would be a good idea for me. <laughs> so she suggested that I go to law school and that's what I did. I didn't really have a particular passion for it at the time. But, you know, um, while I was in law school, I had a period where, you know, I had depression, anxiety, and I even became agoraphobic. Mm -hmm. And it was really that experience that got me to think about life a bit and got me to think about what I want to do with it and what I want to do as a career. And I had a lot of interactions with doctors at the time. I had a lot of time to be introspective and think about what's important to me. And it was that journey really that led me to medicine. So I finished my law degree and I started medical school in 2008. And that was at Griffith? That was at Griffith. And you were halfway through your medical degree then when you had the car accident? Yeah. I watched the episode of Australian Story about you again this week And you said that when the car stopped rolling and everything went quiet, you felt your legs and you knew you were paralysed. Yeah, I actually, uh, (laughs) I met the fireman that attended my accident. Um, That was just earlier this year. That was a pretty cool experience just to meet these guys. And we talked about what that night was like because they remember, they remember it pretty clearly. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason they apparently remember it is because I was one of the few people that they've ever attended to that diagnosed himself really? <laughs> with what had happened. <laughs> so the guys said that they remember it very clearly. Uh, 
one of the other interesting things that they said that I never knew is that their fire truck also lost control when they approached the accident site. So presumably uh, there was something on the road that made all this happen. And how long after that were you in hospital for? Uh, gosh, I was in hospital for probably seven or eight months. It was a bit of time in the ICU and then a bit of time in the HDU and then a bit of time in the orthopedics ward. And there's a long wait actually for people with spinal cord injury to get into the spinal unit because everyone from Queensland ends up at that one unit. So it was then a matter of waiting for a bed to open up Mm -hmm. in the spinal injury unit. And how long after the accident did you start thinking about returning to your studies in medicine? Probably about 30 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I started thinking about returning medicine immediately after the accident. I had thoughts about my life and my loved ones and all those things, obviously. But medicine, it's just something I love so much and... That was something I thought of immediately. In fact, in the ambulance, I was talking to Dr. Stephen Rashford, who uh, is an emergency physician and the director of QAS. And I remember talking to him about coming back to medical school then. In the ambulance? In the ambulance. So there was, was there ever a time where you didn't think it could happen? Uh, I was scared. Mm-hmm. And... There were times when I wondered how I could make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people that supported the idea and supported me in making that journey, but there was a lot of people that also said no. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was more I knew I wanted to do it. I knew that I was going to do it, and I knew I'd regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't do it. It was just uh, fears about how. Yeah, but you made it work. Yeah, I, I realised that uh, overthinking things and intellectualising and philosophising can actually paralyse us in life. And it was just putting all that aside and just springing to action. And so you went on to graduate and become the first quadriplegic medical intern in Queensland. Do you think the time you spent in hospital has changed the way you practice medicine? Yes, yes, 100%. I felt so disempowered. I felt isolated. I felt powerless. I felt that, uh, you know, there, there was, for all those months, I couldn't choose when I had a shower. I couldn't choose, you know, when I could go to bed. I couldn't choose a lot of things for myself. Mm-hmm. I was so disempowering. And then also, I guess, the medical decisions sometimes or the things that were happening around healthcare for me, uh, I felt disconnected from that process and I felt like I didn't have any power over what was going on sometimes. And that is a terrible way to feel. Often, well, not even often, all the time when I see patients in the hospital now, I often think back to those times and I think about how disempowered they are and I can empathise. You know, some people hate being in hospital. Mm. And funnily enough, you know, sometimes patients say, 
I hate being in hospital. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> but I like working here. Uh, I was in the US at Stanford uh, in 2018. And there was a big focus on uh, patient-centered care and patient-centered research. And there was a forum with patients and doctors. And I was fascinated to see the uh, the energy in that room and the some of the discussions that arose, which were quite uh, heated at times. But patients were just trying to make doctors understand how disempowered they feel and how they want to be empowered in their own healthcare. Um, and some also talked about having PTSD like -hmm. symptoms from their hospital stays. They say that they'd never ever present to a hospital unless they're dying essentially. And to be honest, I'm, I'm the same. I would never present to a patient as, uh, to a hospital as a patient unless, uh, I'm very, very sick. And that's just cause I'm just terrified of that experience again. Yeah. And that's, a pretty ironic thing come to think of it. You said that technology has bridged the physical gap for you mm. and enabled you to do your job. Can you give us a couple of examples of that? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the earliest things I remember is coming back as a medical student and I was standing in line to get coffee one day and there was a person from the hospital's IT team that I knew um, or that I'd run into before. And I said hi to her and I said, you know, um, our hospital has the electronic medical record, which is obviously an amazing tool. Is there any way that I could use an iPad to get into it? Because that would make me so much more useful during ward rounds and it'd make me so much more functional. Mm -hmm. And she thought for a second, she said, yeah, we can make that happen. Uh, so she helped me get an iPad, access the hospital network. And from that point on in, I was just carrying this iPad around where I could get into the medical record and type, I can type with my knuckles and it's much easier on an iPad. So that actually opened up a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. So I think having the electronic medical record has been a huge boon for me, but I think it just makes medicine safer and more efficient generally. Uh, Lately, I've started using voice recognition in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So we've got a voice recognition system installed and there are a few doctors that use it around the place. That just makes my note writing a lot quicker. There are some other clinical tools as well. I've seen like some digital otoscopes yeah. where you can uh, stick something in a patient's ear and it shows up on a screen, which I think is pretty good because you can actually show the patient what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's great. And they like to see that. Exactly. Yeah. So there are so many different things and it's been pretty useful with one of the research teams at Griffith at the moment, I'm exploring different ways to improve my hand function Oh, fantastic! uh, to access different things and do more procedures. So technology is pretty cool. And Dinesh, during your Senate presentation, you said that it takes you a lot longer to do what you call normal life stuff. Um, And in the episode of Australian Story, we saw that your day begins at 4.30 to be at the hospital for a 7.30 round. Are there ways in which digital technology has enabled you with other normal life stuff? Yeah. Uh, I've actually got to say, I've had a couple of camera crews in my house now. Uh-huh. And for some reason, they're obsessed with coming into the shower with me. Right. So I've always said, uh, 
you know, I charge, I charge money for that. Absolutely. <laughs> Those kind of videos are extra. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's actually those life things that take a bit longer, getting dressed, having a shower, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And it does take a couple of hours in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think there's much in the way of technology that's helped me a great deal in that. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that um, I do around those life things, like I reply to my emails as I do some of those things in the morning or get help with some of those things in That's the morning. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, voice recognition helps me just pump through some emails yeah. while I do that. So it makes, uh, technology makes some of those other tasks easier yep. so I can spend a bit more time on normal life things. So did mm. you just say you have a camera crew in your house at the moment? No. Well, last week I did last actually. Last week. Uh, it was for a documentary series called Attitude. Fantastic. Um, which is a New Zealand, TV New Zealand uh yeah, show. Awesome. When when can we see that? <laughs> I think it's uh, March next year. They That's said. Exciting. Yeah. So it's about your attitude to life. Your well, it was around work and the mm-hmm. journey and everything that's happened, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. So life has taken you on an incredible journey into the world of research yeah. and digital technology, and you're working with your neighbour and fellow Griffiths University researcher on the concept of the personalised digital twin. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about it? Yeah. So uh, I guess just to tell the story broadly, mm-hmm. ever since I had the accident, I, you know, I think everyone um, wants to walk again, use their hands. Um, I just want to feel the sand in my toes, you know. Absolutely. Uh, so it's been something that. I've been thinking about and I've kept in touch with a lot of the research as you do, I think, particularly being someone from medicine. And there were some really interesting things happening over the last probably 10 to 15 years in spinal cord injury. And that is um, we've found ways in which the spinal cord can gain some functional recovery using non-invasive methods. So some of the key things that are being used is thought control electrical stimulation and drug therapy. So those three things have been shown to restore function in animals and humans so far in some early trials after a spinal cord injury causing complete paralysis. And that was really exciting to see over the last couple of years because for the first time in history, we've started to see people moving their legs and uh, standing up, walking with assistance. So I was super, super excited to see that. And then uh, I happened upon my friend now and colleague, Claudio, who was just living down the corridor from my place. And I remember talking to him in the elevator one day and I said, you know, what do you do? And he's got this thick Italian accent. Every time I walked past his house, I could smell pizza and all these delicious things being cooked. And he said that he was a researcher at Griffith. So we, um, we started talking about how to do some of these, uh, therapies, put it together. And, uh, you know, obviously I want to try and kill myself. Completely. Uh, so we cobbled together bits of equipment and we cobbled together some, 
you know, technology and time that we put aside, um, our own time. And then we realized that, you know, all those things that uh, these scientists have been doing so far, we could do and we could probably do, um, we could try and improve on it. Mm -hmm. So we put together some proofs of concept and um, we started putting together this project uh, right here on the Gold Coast. And that's really taken some steam. So the technology works. We have access to the right type of pharmacology that we need. Um, we have the right expertise. I spent a little bit of time um, in Boston at Harvard as a medical student. And I met one of our collaborators who was running a spinal cord lab there as well. So we got him involved in our project. And now, you know, we, we can do it. I was actually trialing it just yesterday. Oh so... Um, what we have is a thought-controlled rehabilitation uh, system with electrical stimulation and drug therapy. And the idea is that the spinal cord will change and restore function, um, which is super exciting. We've just secured a significant amount of funding for it, which will be announced next month. I don't know how much more I'm allowed to say about that. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and... Now my time is spent part-time in the ED and part-time in research okay, doing great. that. And it's just super exciting stuff. So how close are you to clinical trials? We're pilot testing this stuff on myself at the moment. Great. Um, and we've just started training in earnest. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going through the system now. And we'll have more people coming through in the next probably within the next two years, we'll probably have six to 12 patients. This is the plan at this point. It must be so hard for you to stop thinking about it. You must just... I, th I think about it all the time. I can imagine. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just exciting stuff and... Completely yeah. exciting. Absolutely inspiring. Oh, thank you. And it, I think that's the cool thing about being a doctor and... Or maybe it's a cool thing about just uh, seizing opportunities in life. Where do you hope to be in, say, three years' time with it? I'd love to be standing again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that is that is real cool. Yeah. And do oh. you feel that, that, that you're on the edge of that happening? You know, it's scary, but I'm confident as well. Yeah. But it's scary because uh, you, you want it to yeah, so badly. Absolutely. You want it to fathers too because... I have I have a good friend that has spinal cord injury. I know people mm -hmm. spinal cord injury. My mum now does a lot of work with people around spinal cord injury and the stuff that they go through, the challenges that they face, and the things that change for them. There, you know, it's heartbreaking sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of urgency in developing a solution for this, and even for me. So it's. Um, it's exciting and it's scary. And how's your working emergency going? I love it. We have such a good department and the leadership is great. And I think um, it's a very special place to work, the Gold Coast CD, because I, f I just, um, I feel empowered. Everyone's happy. Everyone, you know, everyone looks after each other. Um, I have some great bosses. I have great colleagues. We have great you know, nurses and everyone. And it's just a very happy place to be. It's it's not without its challenges. It's mm -hmm. the busiest ED in the country mm. at the moment. So, you know, it's not without its challenges. But I think 
someone was talking to me about it recently and I just feel so empowered working in that place. People have described your achievements over the past decade as phenomenal, amazing, inspiring. Do you see it as that? I see myself as a normal guy. Yeah. Um, I am extremely grateful for life and I'm really thankful for the people around me. I'm really thankful for the people that have supported me. I'm just, um, I feel really lucky. You've said that you love medicine, the science, the people, everything about it. And I was reading an article that you wrote recently that suggests you've also found love through medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, after, after the accident, I really haven't, you know, I've been focusing on work and mm. Um, education and everything else, just putting life back together. And it's just something that, you know, I never really had an interest in, I guess. But um, over the last couple of years, I just, <laughs> there was this, I remember just getting around the department and I, I noticed this nurse. Um, she was, well, she is beautiful and just kind and just just you know there was just something about her uh something really special and when i saw her everything else in the area just faded away and she was it and it took me the longest time to talk to her properly because i don't know i was just often lost for words and um but eventually i asked her if she wants to hang out and we did and it's probably the best thing that I ever did. So, um, yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, that's, uh, it's, yeah, we, we've got an amazing relationship. And so everything's great. Everything's great. You deserve so much happiness and everything wonderful in your life. You're an amazing man. And thank you so much. It's been such an honour to talk with you today. Oh, thank you for, for coming in. No, thanks for having me. I've, I've been looking forward to this. I can't yeah, wait good. to see where things go. Uh, it's all, um, I'm excited about the future. Thank you, Dinesh. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rebecca.